0: We don't have a church like that around here, do we? I mean, I guess it depends upon the question you answer that says, why do you come? I mean, do you come to give or do you come to get? Um, Do you come to serve yourself or to serve other people? Um, It doesn't mean that you don't get anything out of the church, you don't come here to get something for yourself and your life, that's that's an important thing. I'm not saying that. Of course we do. But it all goes back to what I've always said. Why you do what you do. Right? I mean what's the motivation for you to come? Is it to give and to serve or is it to consume and to get? It's hard, isn't it? Isn't it hard to give hard to serve. I have to confess, it's hard for me. Um, sometimes I think we not only just have a me, a me church, that we also have a me life, <laughs> uh, where uh, it's all about me in my life. Um, i like to share you an example of uh, you all have young kids. Well, believe it or not, I had young kids once too. And you ever discovered that God speaks through your kids? Maybe you haven't discovered that yet, but you will. They, they, he does speak through them. Out of the mouths of babes, as they say. There was one uh, time when uh, Liam was very young, uh, younger, and uh, he's our youngest. And we had him at a uh, sort of a daycare center, he's a little older. And they were playing in the back of the daycare area. Where it had a fence around it, you know. And the kids were had a you know wiffle ball and a bat, and they were hit, hitting the ball, you know, sort of uh, swinging at it. And Some of the balls would fall in, but some of the balls would go over the fence, you know. And so I'm waiting there, you know. All right, come on, let's go. You know, I have to go. So and I'm sitting there, very impatient. Come on, come on, come on, you know. Finally, it's over with. Oh, you know. So I'm in the car, and Leon comes back and he gets in the car and he says, "Oh, Dad, w- wait a minute. I, w- I have to do something." Where are you going? Where are you going? Ah. So he, I see him running around to the back of the fence. You know, I'm like, oh, sheesh, you don't really. And so I don't see him and I'm waiting and waiting. Finally, he comes back and what are you? What are you doing? Yeah. He says, "Well, Dad, you know, all the kids, hit, a lot of the kids hit the balls over the fence, and I went and got the balls and." threw them back over the fence so they could keep playing. Ooh. Um, he was doing it for them, not for himself. And uh, I heard God say to, to me through him, that's what it's all about, dude. I actually heard that. Dude, <laughs> when are you going to get with the program? <laughs> um, perhaps you can relate to this little um, Story. It's kind of like a who's on first kind of thing. There were four people. They were named everybody, somebody, nobody, and anybody. All right, so have to follow this carefully. There was an important job that needed to be done. Everybody was sure that somebody could do it, anybody could have done it. But nobody did it. (laughs) Somebody got angry about it because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. (laughs) Want me to read that again? Okay. Four people, everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was a job that needed to be done. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about it because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody. When nobody did what anybody could have done. And explain it to me afterwards when you know. Okay, but sometimes, you know, when it comes to service, we we get too prideful. Now we'll never admit it to ourselves, but we'll say, you know, I ain't doing that. You know, that's kind of not my not my thing. Now we probably never really say that out loud or to ourselves, but we, we act that way. Sometimes we're too fearful. Uh, If I do that, what's going to happen to me? Sometimes we feel inadequate. I can't do all of this. A servant is hard to find, especially today. Um, It's about self-glory, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, and I call them the five Ps. They're the power, the possessions, the prestige, the promotion, the position. And that is counterintuitive to what the scriptures say about what greatness is and what service is. So if we are to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, and one of the foundational qualities, which I believe are, is, is service, then, you know, we need to understand what that is. I mean, we might want to lead to achieve. We might want to grow and accomplish things. Those are all the skyscrapers. But if we don't have a foundation of character that's formed by serving, it's going to collapse. And God is looking for a heart of a servant. Now today, we're going to look at just two things. We're going to look at our misunderstandings of what greatness is, and then what true greatness really is. And the passage we're going to look at is in Mark chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, turn there with me. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. Mark chapter 10, 35 to 45. If you notice, we're in the middle of Mark, right smack dab in the middle of Mark. And Mark is constructing a portrait of Jesus as the ideal servant of God. And this is the pinnacle passage in the Gospel of Mark. A lot of things move up to it, and a lot of things descend from it. So, Mark 10, 35 to 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. And he said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized at the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you, you will drink. And the baptism... With which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant; it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to him and said, uh, "And Jesus called to him and said." You know, those uh, who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercised authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you, you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So first what we're going to look at is the misunderstandings that the disciples had, and obviously we often have, around what greatness is. Now, it starts with a request by James and John, sons of Zebedee and here's what they say we want you to do for us whatever we ask <laughs> well that's a, a real servant uh, uh, question it's a bit leading too isn't it isn't it a little manipulative I don't know if uh, single people here uh, you're in a dating relationship or somebody wants to date you and what they say is, you know, well, what are you doing Friday night? Uh, well, the answer, of course, is nothing. Well, then you can go on with me on a date. You know, it's kind of, but that's a manipulative question, isn't it? It's um, just ask me. Don't try to get me into a corner with this. Um, <laughs> and so uh, that's what they're doing. They're trying to manipulate Jesus a little bit by the question they're asking. And, A couple things you need to know about this, by the way. In Matthew, it says their mother, who is, by the way, Mary's sister, uh, asks for James and John. Uh, She put them up to it, you know, a stage mom kind of thing, pushing them forward. The sons of David, so they were really, James and John, were cousins of Jesus. Perhaps they were hoping for some nepotism, I don't know. Luke says that they were all arguing about it. Well, who's going to be great? Uh, who's going to be first? Who's going to be the greatest? And, and they were upset because James and John asked first. Now, in the context here, this is quite striking, Jesus got done predicting that he will suffer and die in the verses 32 to 34, and it went completely over their head. They had no idea what he was talking about. They said nothing about it. They didn't have a clue. And so what Jesus does, he cuts through the manipulation and he says to them, what do you want me to do for you? And what would they say? Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now, they were asking not just to be leaders, they were asking to be uh, senior VPs. Now, Jesus, of course, you know, you're number one, but we want to be on your right and on your left. Uh, on your right, on your left, <laughs> um, and so that's what they were uh, grasping after. Uh, they wanted to be to acknowledge that you're in command, but that we want to be second in command. Notice, He doesn't condemn them for asking it. There's nothing wrong with seeking for greatness in in leadership in Jesus' kingdom but make sure you understand what you're asking for and you understand what it means. They didn't understand it. Uh, You see, they thought that greatness in the kingdom of God was about being prominent and having a position. Of course, they were wrong. And that's the first misunderstanding of greatness in God's kingdom. It's not about seeking a prominent position. Jesus says to them, You don't know what you're asking in verse 38. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I drink? Now, the cup is a symbol of destiny. And he's referring to the cup that he's going to ask and talk to the Father about in Gethsemane. And are you going to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Baptism is a symbol of identification. And Jesus Christ is going to cup, drink the cup of redemption for the world, and he is going to be identified as sinner, as a sinner, and the sin of the world is going to come upon him. And of course, they say, "We're able," and they really weren't able. But he does say to them, "You will drink. You will die." Uh, representing me. Yes, you will be identified with my sufferings eventually, forward. But to sit at my right hand and sit on my left is not mine to grant, he says in verse 40, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. For those for whom it has been prepared. See, greatness is a pre- preparation process. It's um. It's a process by which we are being equipped for. Now, what was it that they were to be prepared? and What does this preparation look like? Well, if we look at the person of Christ and see how he was prepared, maybe we can understand what it means for us as we are going to be prepared to serve. And the best passage, actually one verse, is in John chapter 13 in verse 1. It's a verse that's it's, it's incredibly packed full of preparation in regard to what he was about. Now, to set the context of this it is the Upper Room Discourse is, is beginning. He uh, is about to wash the disciples' feet, and these are the last words that he says to his disciples, uh, essentially, before he departs from them. So the last words are, are lasting words. And knowing all of this, what does he do? And this is verse one only. And let me read it to you. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that his time had come for him to leave this world, to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And then he proceeds to wash feet. What we see here is a destiny again. He knew that his time had come. If you remember in the Gospel of John many times the hour has not come. Remember at the wedding of Canaan when he says to his mother, my hour has not come. Well now it has. So his destiny is set. Our destiny is that as he leaves this world The spirit which he will promise in in John chapter 14 will come and be with us and will equip us to fulfill his mission in this world. Then we have a sense of his own accountability where he will accomplish what the Father has given to him. An atonement for the sins of the world. As John says earlier in the book, "...behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world." He will return to the Father having accomplished his purpose. And we are to accomplish our purpose in this life as we live here on this earth. And we are accountable to Christ and to God for what we are to do. And then finally we see his purpose. He loved his own on this earth. That's our purpose as well. We are to love one another, but also those who are outside of the faith. And the way this is done, it's carried out by being a servant. But the disciples, and (laughs) if we were honest with ourselves, us too, we like to take some shortcuts with it. We want you, Lord, to do whatever we say. Um, Our motives are often self-driven. We often have hidden agendas of things that we want to get out of things. And so we're misunderstanding what greatness is, and in misunderstanding what greatness is, we're misunderstanding what it means to be a servant. Reminds me of the story of the young girl who broke up with her boyfriend some time ago, and, and he was surprised to get a letter from her, and he really liked her. The letter said that she thought long and hard about their relationship, and that she was wrong, and that she really loved him, and that he was the only guy for her. And she signed, Love, Sally. P.S. It was great to hear that you won the lottery. (laughs) Self-driven motives really aren't hidden for very long. They really come to light in regard to what we are really motivated to do. Jesus' point here is that greatness is not gained by selfish motives, by hidden agendas, but it's gained by preparation, by the appointment of God, the Father, by understanding what Jesus did when he washed the disciples' feet, that it was his destiny, and it's our destiny to carry on his mission, and it's accountability that we are to live in this life as he did, and purpose to love one another and we love others by serving them that's the preparation process which God the Father brings to us and through us it isn't something we ask for it's something that God assigns to us so there's a two misconceptions of what what greatness is it's not gained by seeking the position And it's not based upon our understanding of what greatness is. Greatness is gained by being prepared for it by God. And it's measured, number two, by service. This is what he goes into talking about in verses 41 and following. And when the ten heard this, they began to be indignant at James and John. They were angry. They were appalled. They were upset. Why? Because they wanted it. They wanted to have that authority and that power. And notice what Jesus says to him. He calls them aside. It's the idea here is that he knows that this is an important point. And so he brings them aside and he kind of looks at them face to face, eye to eye, and he says to them, You know those who are considered as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Now this is very emphatic in the original text but it shall not be among you. Can't be more emphatic in in stating it. Then the contrastive word, it's the strongest word they can use in the original language, but, that's Allah, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Greatness in the world is often measured by lording it over people and having authority over people. And I'm sure some of you <laughs> have worked for people like that, right? Who just kind of it over you. Uh, I had a boss once that um, she would ask a question in a group meeting, and the person would give the answer, and she, and she didn't like it or didn't want to hear it. She'd stick her hand in front of her, on his face or her face. She'd stick her hand in front of it. Uh, not so with you. Um, we're not lobsters in a tank climbing over each other all right it isn't that way to be among us. notice he doesn't condemn again seeking greatness but how you seek it is the issue is it is to be achieved by serving now he, he talks about this greatness in two aspects of it here he says greatness is measured by the lower being the highest. Look at this in verse 43b. But, not, but whoever would be great, the highest among you, must be your servant, diakonos. This is where we get the word deacon, the lower. Their idea was to rule over the Romans. You know, they wanted to overthrow Roman government. Christ is saying here that you are to choose to be a servant and thus to win people by serving them if you serve like Jesus is describing and in the corporate world or in your workplace you're going to look like you're crazy you're going to look like you're nuts I can remember in a staff meeting uh, I was on the leadership team in this organization I was in and we had a staff meeting and we had a new person come on board and everything that somebody said as an idea she would top it oh that's good but it's like you know, going up the baseball bat. Every hand, would, she'd put her hand over it, put her hand on top of it. you know. And and, and I thought, well, this a couple of times. Maybe there were some good ideas. But then she'd do it every single time anybody would say anything. She'd jump on top of it and basically step on the person and make her idea look better than that other person's idea. And this went on and on. So finally, no one would share anything. No one would say anything. So I... I felt like God was telling me you know, to talk to her. So I did. I, I said, could we have a cup of coffee? And she said, sure, sure. So I, I we sat down and I said, have you noticed that anytime anybody shares an idea, you have a better idea? I said, well, yeah, I do. I come from this background. Okay, I understand that, but you know, you don't need to top everybody's idea. You that we are on the same team. And so really, the ideas and things that we are contributing to is really about that that, that competitor, that other company outside the company, not on the team. We're not competing with each other on the team. And you seem to be doing that over and over again. And her jaw kind of dropped a little bit. Now, to her credit, she said, the next time I do that, I want you to stop me. No, I'm not going to stop you in the middle of the meeting. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do that. If you do it, I'll talk to you afterwards. But I'm not going to do that in the, in the meeting, you know. And she, and she, and she listened to me, and and I won her in that sense of not feeling that she had to top everything. But you can see how how that's solely contrary to what the scriptures talk about serving or talk about greatness. So greatness in Jesus' kingdom is measured by the lowest. Being the highest, he also has another sense of measure. Whoever would be first among you must be slaved, slave to all. This is in forty-four, verse forty-four. Dulos, and dulos is different than diakonos, which is the servant. Dulos um, is the second measure of greatness. It's the measure of greatness is uh, from the lowest to the highest, and now we have uh, the, the last being the first. But what's the idea of, of a servant? I mean, or a doulos, or a slave. We throw those terms around. What's the difference? What, what do they mean? Well, a doulos is not a servant, not a diakonos. It's a, it's a slave. Um, Jesus takes the idea of service, of being a diakonos, to the next step. But the next step isn't upward, it's downward. As a servant, you have an ability to schedule your time. As a slave, you don't have that ability. As a servant, you can quit. As a slave, you can't quit. As a servant, there's some amount of control that you have over what you do. As a slave, you have no control. You're the one that's being controlled. As a servant, you have possessions. A slave doesn't have any possessions. A servant, you may say yes. As a slave, you must say yes. If she or she wants even if you if you want to say no, you have to say yes. Jesus is calling us to be servants, yes, but he's also calling us. To be slaves, to be the technical term, a bond servant, a bond slave. It comes from the Book of Exodus, chapter twenty-one, verses two to six. This is where, pardon me for being graphic here, but this is where you'd take your ear, and you'd back yourself up to a doorpost, and they would take an awl, and they would punch a hole in your ear, and then, of course. Pull it away, and the blood trickling down the doorpost will be a sign of a covenant that you are a bond slave to the Lord, or to whoever you're uh, a servant to. And what did Paul refer to himself as? He referred to himself as a bond slave, a bond servant. By the way, we're all called to that, to be a fully devoted follower, to be a disciple. We are called to be a slave, a slave to loving other people. It's voluntary, it's radical, it's a response to his love, and it's permanent. You see, the greatness in Jesus' kingdom isn't about prominence or position. It's about stooping lower in the kingdom of this world to serve in order to be higher in the kingdom of the next world, which is to come. Why? Why is that the measure by which we are to be great? Verse 45 tells us, For, explaining it, For even the Son of Man did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This was Jesus's mission. This is our mission. His mission is our mission. The highest hallmarks of his kingdom is to serve and to be a slave to all. Now that sounds amorphous, but what is that? How does that really? Uh, what does that really boil down to in our lives? Well, the best way I can state it is that. If you are called to do something, uh, to serve someone, to get involved with something, to help out, and and you, you might wonder if God wants you to do it, <laughs> you know that, it's you, that you are a servant and you are a bond slave because you have to tell yourself not to do it. So to me, that's the attitude to have. If the attitude is to have is to tell yourself, you have to tell yourself not to do it. And when you tell yourself not to do it, and you don't do it, and you say, I am not doing that, you are quenching God's spirit in your life and an opportunity for greatness in his kingdom. And I know that's tough to understand. But but that's what he's called us to do. If you're something that you are to serve and to be involved with. You have to tell yourself that I'm not going to do that. And when you do that, you are now backing away from what it means to be a servant. Let's talk about partnership. Uh, we use that term here in regard to uh, involvement at City Church. And I encourage you to look at the summary uh, uh, chart and also the the, uh, the text around partnership. Um, Partnership, really, all that means is that you want to serve more. That's really what it is. It's not a position. It's not a a, a, uh, you know, a step up in regard to a position here at the church. It just means that you want to commit yourself to the Lord more, and you want to serve others more. That's really simply all that it means to us. And so uh, if that's what you want and that is um, an opportunity for you to do that, then, then I would encourage you to, to contact me or contact one of the elders in the church and talk about the process by which you can become a partner. Like I said, it's not a position. You know, I am a partner. It's not a position. It's just an opportunity, a function to serve more. Husbands, I'm speaking to myself here, if you want to lead the home, the measure of your leadership is not by saying that you're a leader or by demanding that you're a leader. Uh, it's by serving her or serving your kids. Tony Evans, uh, one of my professors, uh, used to say, if, she, if she's serving, she's the leader. <laughs> Too many of us are kind of like, as he says, beauty contestants. Uh, rather than volunteers in a crisis. We want the crown. Uh, volunteers seek to serve in which it will lead to a crown. The greatness in the kingdom is measured by the extent that which we serve others here. Simply said, greatness in the kingdom is not measured by the kind of people that that serve us, but the kind of people that we serve. Greatness in the kingdom is not how many serve us, but how many we are serving. Every time God calls you to serve, and you step up and do it, you are responding to a divine opportunity for greatness. I like the way John Ortberg says it. He said, the kingdom of God is like Southwest Airlines, only with better food. <laughs> no, better yet, he said, the kingdom of God is where people who have money buy the most expensive tickets and get all the best seats and then give them to the people who don't have any money at all. And where people who have power, instead of complaining about the service and about how their tastes are not being catered to, become flight attendants and walk around to people who don't have much power and say, may I help you? May I serve you? And it is because God, the one who owns the airline and is the pilot of the flight, he is also walking around with a moist towel and a basin, washing people's feet. He's saying, now, in what I am doing, I've set an example for you. There's nothing like the kingdom of God, Ortberg says. The kingdom of God is like a barnyard where there are no pecking order. He says, and the greatest chicken is the humblest chicken. Nobody's strutting. Nobody's pecking. Every chicken is just looking out for every other chicken. (laughs) There's nothing like the kingdom of God, he says. When people who hear about it, they would say, that's what I want more than anything else to be a part of. That's what I want. They would sacrifice everything, their lives, their possessions. They would do it with joy. Then things would start to turn the world upside down and can it happen in our community where we live you see it's not the the me church it's the slave church you see wouldn't it be great if the city church was known in the community not because we have a sign on the side of our building or by what we believe but because we serve. I was in a church once, and we did serve the community uh, effectively. And it's interesting to how they refer to us. Oh, yeah, they'll clean up for us. Oh, they'll be there because they always help us. Uh, oh, yeah, that church, they're helping. They're, they're, they're serving us. Uh, we can count on them to, to do the job. Wouldn't that be great? In this community, that if the city church or, in, or you in your own home and neighborhood were known by somebody who would just, well, they'll help me. They'll help me. The church, th- that church is a church that we can count on and we can help. Well, that's the whole series. Um, it's what it means to be a fully devoted follower. These are hard things to, to live. Um, it's hard for me, uh, and I'm sure it's hard for you. Um, there are things that are seem so far beyond us, but this is what a disciple is, and that's why it's a road that's less traveled. People just don't, can't do it, don't want to do it. So, if I can summarize the series for you in a series of uh, this short statements, going from one talk to the other what it means to be a disciple is to love God supremely the first talk. to submit to the Lord unconditionally to accept people freely to manage the Lord's resources wisely to serve others humbly which one of those remember had a greater impact on you. Um, maybe you're like me and you can't remember all of those things, and I certainly don't. Go back and listen to it again and take some of the ideas that I, that I stated around what can what you can do to move further down this road that's less traveled and put it into practice. And so therefore what we're doing is we're, we're not just ending a series. We're, we're taking the series with us into our lives day to day as the months move on. As our church is going through a lot of change we're taking that with us. Now I want to close by, um, by doing something that uh, I don't know if you've ever had this done for you but it's, it's an awkward thing to do I'm going to wash someone's feet up here. Now, does that mean I'm putting myself out as the greatest servant? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. I know better than that, and I'm sure you do too. I'm not saying that. But my purpose in doing this is I hope that this image, this action, remains in your mind. So when the opportunity comes, wherever you are, that you will be willing to figuratively wash their feet. So Ricky, uh, Ricky's the new, the new, the new bee on the block, so to speak, on our uh, worship team. On our, I should say, leadership team. And so I'm going to wash his feet. And I hope you clean your feet before you get. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Have a seat there, and um, put your feet in there, man. All right. uh, get your pant legs wet. And let me know if this is, I don't want to burn your feet. I got hot water in here, so. Oh, that's okay. All right, here we go. It's strange, huh? Different. It's very different, isn't it? All hey, right, man, thanks a lot. So what does that look like in your life? What does it look like um, in your home to do something like that? What does that look like in in your work and what you do every day? What's it look like here in this church and in our community? Let's practice it. Let's begin that road that's less traveled. And let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, the work you're doing in my life around this. And I pray that This would be an example to everyone, including myself, about how the Lord of glory uh, took a towel, uh, girded himself, and washed the disciples' feet, knowing that he had come from you, and that he was returning to you, and that he had accomplished his, his purpose on this earth, and that he loved his own, to the utmost Father thank you for that truth and may we leave here today and give us opportunities to practice it in our home in our church and in our community and work we ask it in Christ's name Amen